Turn in your Bible with me this morning, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4, as we endeavor to finish up this book today. As you're turning, you get there, let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Father, we are grateful just for a chance to be here, to be in your house today already. We're thankful that you are here, present with us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would prick our hearts for the things of you this morning. Encourage us, challenge us, get on to us in areas, Father, where we're not being the people you created us to be and doing the things you created us to do. Help us leave here encouraged, motivated, but most of all challenged to see your kingdom expand and to see you get the glory through our lives. God, if there's anybody here today who doesn't really have a relationship with you, who's not in that place where they know you as Savior and Lord, God, we pray that today they would be attentive, that you would be convicting their hearts this morning of their need for you, and that they wouldn't leave this place until they knew what it was like to have a relationship with the Creator God of the universe. It's in your Son's name we pray today. Amen. We have been studying the book of Philippians together in a study called the book of joy. There are a lot of different ways that we could have taken this book and run with this book, a lot of different ways we could have approached it, but God laid on my heart to look at it through this idea of joy and true joy. And what Paul was telling the church in Philippi that they could do to not only experience true joy, but the ways and the areas of their lives where they could experience this joy that God intended for them to have. This is not a happy-go-lucky series. This is not a come and we just want you to feel good when you leave because you're happy knowing that you know God and God knows you. No, this is true joy. This is joy in the midst of suffering. This is joy in the midst of persecution. This is joy in seeing each other grow. This is joy in challenging each other and encouraging each other to do the things that they were created in Christ to do, to see the kingdom expand and to see God get the glory. That is where we find joy, and that's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. We've looked at some of the challenges to joy, some of the ways the enemy tries to steal our joy. Last week, we looked at the joy thief titled Things that we try to get our focus off of so that we can focus on the one thing and the one person where we find our true joy. And so today we're going to continue to talk about the kind of joy that we can have. And as Paul closes out this letter to the church in Philippi, he talks very specifically about one overall idea, and it's this idea of having peace. And the joy that comes through having peace. Now this is not the kind of peace that maybe we think of and the world thinks of, which is the opposite of trouble and the opposite of war. No, this is the true kind of peace that comes into our lives when we have actually accounted for who we are and who we are in Christ. And we've sold out to that. And we know that that is the one thing our life is about. And we find joy when we see that being accomplished in our lives. This is that kind of joy that's unwavering. This is that kind of joy that's not dependent on our circumstances and the way things are going. Because as we talked about a couple weeks ago, we don't view our circumstances and see Christ through them. No, instead, we look through Christ and see our circumstances. That's where we find joy and we reckon within ourselves. Right? We, we come to grips within ourselves of the true meaning and the true value and the true worth of that relationship and our place in that relationship with Christ. And that being the kind of joy that we're talking about. But when we talk about this kind of peace, it's a peace that comes apart from those same circumstances. Warren Wiersbe said that you know we're all called to crucify ourselves with Christ, to pick up our cross and follow Him. But day to day... Christians are being crucified, he said, between two thieves. The worries of yesterday's, reg- or, sorry, yesterday's regret and the worries of tomorrow. Christians are seeing themselves crucified between those thieves. And, and we worry about what's today. As worry about what we've done. And Paul's already addressed those regrets of yesterday. As we looked last week some at this idea of It doesn't matter what we've done, where we came from, what our circumstances were, what side of the tracks we were born in, what our family name was. None of those things matter. The only thing that matters is that future and that hope that we're looking forward to. But as we look to the future, many times we start to worry about what tomorrow is going to bring. And there's anxiety about tomorrow. There's anxiety about the unknown. There's the fear of how our needs are going to be met and how this situation will play out and how these things will happen. Corey Ten Boom says worry only does one thing. It, it doesn't 
take from today its sorrow. It steals from tomorrow its strength. See, all the worry in the world is not going to solve the problem that we're dealing with and the thing that we're thinking about. Instead, it just gets our focus off of where our strength lay, our strength for tomorrow. And so worry robs us of the strength for tomorrow. And so Paul knows that, and Paul sees some of the things that are going on, and he's got a report, a report from Epaphroditus of some of the things that are happening in the church there in Philippi. And so he begins to address this idea of finding joy in peace. So begin with me in verse 1 as we read together and look at some areas where we find peace in our life. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Yodia and I urge Sintichi to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Paul says one of the areas of joy in our life, one of these areas where we find joy and peace, is that in peace with peers. Peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice how he refers to those to whom he's addressing this letter. My joy and crown. We've talked about this idea a little bit previously in the letter of them being Paul's crown. And that they're the fruit of his ministry and the fruit of his labor in the Lord. And we've talked about that kind of joy and partaking of that fruit. As we make disciples, we, we take joy in seeing them come to Christ and seeing them grow in Christ. But then as they begin to multiply and make disciples, we have a share in that joy as they're producing fruit. But Paul goes on. He, he doesn't just leave them as fruit. They're not just the outflow of his labor. They're not just the product of his ministry. No, they become friends. They become fellow co-workers. They become fellow laborers. They are his peers. They are his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when he looks at them and he looks at their ministry and he looks at their service, he finds joy in the fact that he's laboring with friends. We all want the best for our friends. We try to do our best by our friends. We want to see our friends grow. We want to see our friends gain all that they can. We want to see our friends succeed. How much more so when we're speaking spiritually of our brothers and sisters in Christ? It wasn't enough just for Paul to see his ministry grow and expand. It wasn't just enough for him to see fruit from his personal effort. But he found joy in seeing his friends find joy in their efforts and their labor. And so as Paul begins to look at this idea of peace with peers and the joy that could be had, he zeroes in on a problem. He zeroes in on something that was happening there in Philippi. We don't get all of the details. We don't know anything other than there were two prominent ladies there within the church. Ladies who had ministered with Paul alongside Paul and supported that ministry in that church when he was there. People that he knew well. He knew their reputation. He knew their service. He knew their heart. But something has happened. Whether word has gotten to him and he's gotten more details from Epaphroditus or whether Epaphroditus told him about this situation as he comes and brings this gift to prison and to Paul who's in prison in Rome. We don't know. But somehow Paul hears a strife between two of these dear sisters in Christ. And notice what he tells them. He's encouraging them to find harmony with each other in the Lord. In the Lord. And he reminds them of their service together in the ministry from the beginning. He reminds them of that fruit that they are sharing in. Now this word to find harmony in the Lord is interesting. Finding harmony doesn't just mean deciding to like each other. It doesn't mean going a weekend retreat where they're going to roast marshmallows and braid each other's hair and prank call boys until they leave as best friends who want nothing more than to spend 24 hours a day with each other. Now, Paul never even gets to this idea of friendship. This word harmony talks about this idea of coming to the same opinion and the same understanding. You see, there are a lot of different flavors in the body of Christ, right? A lot of different parts of the body. The toes enjoy one thing, the ears enjoy something else. The eyeballs enjoy one thing and the hands something else. And you're never going to get them to agree on what's the best or what's their favorite because they're different and they were created by God to be so. 
And yet all the different parts of the body, even though they have different likes, different interests, different abilities, different skills, different passions, they all work together in harmony. There's this idea that we've talked about so far in the book of Philippians of going after one goal. And Paul's reminding these ladies, it's important within the body of Christ, and there is joy in the body of Christ, when we're at peace with each other, when we're living in harmony with each other, you might prefer the blue shag carpet, and you might prefer the wood floors, and you might have a very strong opinion about what's going to look best in your Sunday school classroom. But at the end of the day, if we're all mindful that the reason that we are there and the reason that we are serving and the reason that we are so passionate about our opinion is because we want to do the best by our Savior to see his kingdom advance, then we find harmony with each other. It's harmony that's found only in the Lord. And I come to that place where I realize, while I think your way is not the best way and it's the least efficient and maybe you're headed for disaster, you're heading that way sincerely and with the right motivation and with the right mindset. And while I don't agree with you, there can be harmony and peace between us. I can still pray for you. I can still encourage you. I can still work with you to try to help you get to the same end that I'm trying to accomplish. And Paul is reminding these sisters that they have been in service. They've seen the kingdom expand. They know the joy of seeing this fruit of God getting the glory through their lives. And whatever this is that's causing strife between them, whatever this tension is, it's not worth disrupting this peace and the joy that comes with it of seeing brothers and sisters living in harmony for the same goal and the same cause. Because we know the enemy loves to get in and to try to wreck that harmony. If he can find a place to wedge himself in and split, then what does he do to the ministry of that body? What does he do to the effectiveness of that body? And that's where it comes out as another important part. And Paul gets into this next type of peace because he says, your peace is a testimony to the world outside the body. Notice as he goes on, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Now, this idea of a gentle spirit, Paul is talking about peace with the public. Because this gentle spirit does not mean we walk around with kid gloves and we tread on eggshells around each other. No, we've talked about this general spirit once before in the book of Philippians. This is that spirit of a person who is so reckoned within themselves of their identity in Christ and their purpose in Christ and their security in Christ that they aren't shaken by what's going on in the world around them. They're not shaken by circumstances. They're not shaken by those relationships. There is a peace that's within them, a calm that's within them in the midst of the storm because they know who's holding them in the midst of the storm. And Paul says that gentle spirit, that peace among believers who share that gentle spirit, who aren't rocked by confrontation and strife and difference of opinions with each other, those those believers who find that harmony in Christ shows that gentle spirit to the world who's outside and around. They don't just see it in individual Christians. They see it within the body of Christ. And that gentle spirit is contrasted against the world's frantic anxiety of that constant running around, worrying about this and fretting about that, trying to make sure this is okay and that's okay and put out all the fires and keep all the plates spinning. And if we're not careful, that becomes our conversation to the world. When we go to work and we grumble on Monday But I cannot believe that person in my small group wants blue shag carpet in our Bible fellowship room. Isn't that the stupidest thing? When was the last time you saw blue shag carpet? What is that conversation telling the world outside about being in harmony with Christ and having one purpose and one, one goal? When we are constantly talking about how we've got this bill to pay and that bill to pay and we don't know how we're going to do it and we don't know where it's going to come from and we've got to do this and we've got to do that and somehow we're going to have to figure this out and do that maybe we'll have to sell this and maybe we can do that and hey can I borrow this and can I do what is that conversation 
telling the world out there about the God that we put our faith in to provide and to care for us, where we place our security. That gentle spirit is not there when we're fretting and we're worrying and we're sharing that with the world. And it doesn't mean just mask it and don't let it out. Think it on the inside. No, Paul says we've got to get past that. We've got to do something about that. We've got to change that within us. And the way that that happens is we find peace with a personal Savior. We find peace with a personal Savior. How in the world can we know peace? How in the world can we get outside of the worry and the anxiety? How in the world can we change that mentality and that attitude within ourselves if we don't know personally the God of peace? If we have not taken advantage of having that relationship restored, With the God who created it all, the God who sustains it all, and the God who can provide it all. And so Paul talks about peace with this personal Savior. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Why? The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds where? In Christ Jesus. He says, if we want to know this peace that passes all comprehension, it comes through peace with a personal Savior. Because He's the beginning. He's the beginning. Paul's giving them the command to take all their concerns, all their requests, and make them known before God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. But the way that we do that is through Christ. Because of the work that He did on our behalf, because of the salvation that's possible, because when we place our faith in Him, And because we are seen at that point through the righteousness of Christ, not our own, we're told to boldly go before the throne. How can we go before the throne with our prayers and our supplications any other way but through the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Any other way than having His blood applied to our lives, our sin debt forgiven? See, He makes possible... For us to be the children of God. And only then do we get an audience with the Father. And so we find peace. We find peace knowing that we can go to the Father with our worries, with our concerns, with our needs, with our desires. And there's joy in that. Knowing that he didn't just say, write them down and leave them there and maybe I'll come by and pick them up. Maybe I'll read them. Maybe I'll do something about them. No, we're told to go boldly before the throne. Through Christ. He's the beginning. But not only is he the beginning, he's also the keep. I know, it sounds like a weird word, right? But using it in a very medieval sense, think about the keep. Think about a castle. Think about a fortress. What was the keep? It was the most secure place in that fortress. The deepest heart of the building. There was one way in and one way out. And the one way in was not easily accessible. And it was guarded by a legion of soldiers. When that fortress or that castle was under siege, the most important things and the most important people in the entire castle were taken to the keep to be guarded there. And while the rest of the castle and the fortress may fall, they would be safe within the keep. Notice what he says. I'll go back here. Look at what he says. When we're not anxious for anything, when by everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we let our requests be known to God, notice what it says. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard our hearts and our minds where? 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 In Christ Jesus. He is our keep. When we take our requests and our concerns to Him, 
We don't just leave them with him. Paul says we hide ourselves within the security of Jesus Christ. And the peace of God becomes that legion of soldiers that guard our heart and our mind. Because we know as children, adopted as heirs through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we have a Father in heaven who is going to supply everything that we need. Who is going to keep us through all of the storms and all the trials of life. And we only have that kind of peace and we only find joy in that peace when we have peace with a personal Savior because He is our keep. He is our keep. And that kind of peace comes from nowhere else. Nowhere else. No other source. No other relationship. No other religion. No other set of works. No other set of ritual. No other anything that we can do. No book that we can read, no conference we can attend. There is, there is no source of this kind of peace outside of peace with a personal Savior. And Paul says we can have that kind of joy knowing that He is our keep. Look at what Isaiah says about the Lord in chapter 26, verse 1 through 4. He says, we have a strong city. He sets up walls and ramparts for security. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the one that remains faithful. Notice this, the steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. Jesus Christ is our keep when we have peace with a personal Savior because he's our personal Lord and our personal Savior. And we have a personal relationship with him. So if we aren't then to be focused on those concerns once we place them in the keep, what should we be focused on? I love going through these studies and Paul's epistles because he not only gives us this theology to think about, this incredible image and picture of God, but he also shows us step by step what it is we're to do and how it is it's supposed to apply to our lives. It's one thing to know that we can leave these concerns with Christ, but how then do we not pick them back up? How do we then not carry them around? He says we have to occupy our mind with something else. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell, think on these things. Instead of carrying around these concerns and these worries that we have, it says, think on these things. And look at this list that he gives us. Whatever is true. Some years back, Dr. Walter Calvert did a study on what we worry about as people. And the interesting thing with his survey was this. 92% of what we worry about is imaginary. It's not true. We imagine scenarios and outcomes and possibilities and conversations and rejections and all of these things that have never happened and are never going to happen. But we play all of them out in our head and worry about them. Or we somehow imagine that we have some type of control over the outcomes of these situations. Well, if I've only done this, or I'd only done that, or I'd only said this, or I'd only been here, or I only would have decided this instead of this. When in reality, there was nothing that we could have done or can do to change the outcome of the situation at all. Only 8% of what we worry about is anything that could actually ever happen to us. And even at that, 8% is too much, because what do we have to worry about when we're safe within the keep? But we think about these things. If you remember last week, that was the name of the joy thief, wasn't it? Things. You see, the enemy will get our focus off of Christ, who is our keep. Off of our goal, which is to bring him glory. And he'll get it on all of these other things. And that's where our worry and our anxiety comes from, isn't it? We're not going to get our things. We're going to lose our things. Someone is going to take our things. Our things won't be enough. Our things will lose value. We'll misplace our things. 
We'll get to the end of life and we won't have enough things. We don't have enough things to leave to our children. We don't have enough. All of these concerns all surround our things. What will someone else think about my things? Are they the best things? Could I have better things? Would people think better of me if I had more things or less things or other things? It gets our focus off and onto things. And we begin to worry and fret. Because instead of our focus being on our Savior, our keep, our focus is on our things. But Paul goes on. It says, the law of the Lord, oh, sorry, Paul doesn't go in yet. Psalm 19, look, notice the parallel here to this list that Paul gave us. As he goes on, these things are true, honorable, pure, worthy of praise, excellent. Look at what the psalmist David wrote. A very similar list in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. These things that Paul is describing, these, these things that we're to think of, instead of our worries and concern, are the Word of God. What He says, His truth, his decrees, his judgments, what he says about life, what he says about our circumstances, what he says about our situations. These are the things that we're to be thinking of. These are the things that we're to occupy our mind with if we want to know peace, and if we want to know the joy that comes through having this peace that pervades every aspect of our lives. Paul says, think on these things. Think on these things. Psalm 119 tells us this, Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. Here's David saying, I'm surrounded about by enemies who persecute me for no reason. I could have plenty of reason to worry. I could have plenty of reason to fret. I have plenty of situations and circumstances around me to draw my focus off the one thing. But my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. I hate and despise falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. Those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. Paul says, think on the word. Let that be what consumes us. Meditate on it day and night. What do we read in Deuteronomy? We rise up and we sit down, right? Whether eating, waking, walking, whatever the case may be. That's to be what consumes our mind. And as we focus on his word, it draws us into focus on him. Our keep, our source of peace, our source of joy. Then Paul goes on. He says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Practice. Live out. Don't just read, don't just meditate, don't just dwell on, don't just think on. Put them into practice. Let them become part of who you are in your everyday. Your attitude, your actions, your thought life, your relationships. The perspective in which you see the world. Get so immersed in it that it becomes who you are. Live it out. Put it into practice. And then notice what happens. If you go back to the first part of this section, Paul's telling them how to pray. With prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, give all our concerns to God, right? And then he goes on, he says, whatever things are true, noble, pure, worthy of praise, all of these things, think on these things. And then he tells them to put them into practice. If we want to know the joy of true peace, this peace that pervades every aspect of our life, Paul says, pray right, think right, and live right. It's that simple. But you know what? All three of these things go back to one thing. Christ. In the book of John, help me out here, Jesus, Jesus says something. He says, I am the way, the, and the, I am the, 
pray right. Jesus is the way by which we come to the Father, by which we approach the throne boldly and make our petitions known to Him, right? I am the way, I am the think right. Paul said, whatever is true, let your mind dwell on that. Jesus is the truth. He is the word. We think on him. We think on his words, his teachings, his judgments, his examples, his life. That's what we think about. That becomes our focus. He becomes our focus. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Live right. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And it's God who's working in me, Christ who's working in me, both to will and to do the things that he created me to do for his kingdom, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's how we pray right, think right, and live right. It all comes back to him. But there's one other thing that Paul talks about. He says we can have peace and find joy and peace when we have peace with our provisions. Peace with our provisions. There's two ways. First, he tells the Philippian church, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. This word revived doesn't mean that they used to support Paul and then they quit and now they've started again. This word is the word that's used for a tree that blooms in the spring and in the winter goes somewhat dormant until it has opportunity again and the time is right for it to bloom again. That's this word. And Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord that you've revived your concern for me. And notice, they didn't have opportunity before, but now God has given them another opportunity. He's not rejoicing that they're providing for him here. He's rejoicing that they've had opportunity again to provide. In other words, Paul is telling them this. There is joy in being part of another person's provisions. There is joy in being part of the process God uses to meet someone else's needs. You see, there's a cycle to this. Sometimes you are blessed And sometimes you must sacrifice. But either way, in obedience, whether it's out of your abundance or out of sacrifice, you give and supply someone else's need. But there are other times when you're the one in need. And someone else, whether it's through their abundance or their sacrifice, out of obedience, they're supplying your need. See, at some point, we're we're always on that cycle. And God is always using us to provide for someone else's need or he's using someone else to provide for our need. But either way, Paul tells them, there's joy in being part of the process. There is joy in being able to partner with God and provide for another brother or sister in Christ's need. And here's why. Here's why. It's kind of like, um, I won't call them pyramid schemes, but uh, what do we call them now? I think the term is cottage industries. Pampered Chef, Paparazzi, Premier, you name whatever one you want to pick out of there, right? How does it work? You sell, you get commissions on what you sell. Simple, right? But what's the next level? You get someone else in under you, you're kind of their mentor, their consultant, right? And everything they sell, they get commission on, but guess what? You also get a kickback on what they sell plus commission on what you sell, right? So then what's the hope? Where do you find the real joy? When that person starts to get somebody else under them, right? And this pyramid begins to grow from the top down. The more people you have selling underneath those people that you've consulted with and you've mentored, the more comes back to you in the end. And Paul says, that's the way it is here. That's the way it is spiritually. I don't just see you finding joy in providing for someone, but you find joy when the person you provide for does what God created them to do for the kingdom. Because the more they succeed in their ministry and their calling, the more fruit they produce, the more God gets the glory and the further the kingdom is expanded. And that was my goal to start with. So whether it's I who see the kingdom expand in my ministry 
or I see the kingdom expand because of your ministry, there's joy. And the same is true for you. Church, God has chosen you to give to meet other people's needs. To keep them in the ministry, to keep them encouraged, to keep them provided for so that they can continue to see the kingdom expand. And you can take joy in knowing that you are part of the process. He goes on to explain it to them with an accounting-type analogy. He says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Paul said, I'm just happy to have been a part of your spiritual investment. Because where you invest in this process and where you invest in the kingdom, you're going to see returns and dividends. And unlike placing your money with the bank or your financial broker and hoping that they pay you what you're due and hoping the dividends come out the way they're supposed to and when they're supposed to, God is the one sitting there with the ledger. And he's the one in charge of writing that dividend check. And notice what Paul tells them here at the end of this passage. He said, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches, right? In glory in Christ Jesus. You have invested in me, but rest assured that at your time of need, God is going to supply for you. You're part of the cycle. You're part of the process. And there is joy in being able to invest in that process. But Paul goes on. He begins to talk about himself and this idea of need and want and the other side of finding peace with provision. Now understand, these are two very different words. And I know we use this with our children, right? They can roll around to uh, Christmas or a birthday, right? Or they're at the store, summer's just started, and they see that brand new toy that's just come out for summer, and what do they say? But mommy, I need this, right? And what's our standard parental answer? No, you don't need that, you want that. But understand, that's not truly the meaning of the word want here. We've got to understand this in a little bit different way. Paul had legitimate needs, and he just talked about how God had used the Philippian church to meet those legitimate needs. But Paul contrasts needs with the word want in a different way than we think most of the time. Notice this. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul is using the word want here as the opposite of contentment. He had legitimate needs. And they weren't just trivial things. He didn't need $347 to pay his phone bill this month, right? Or they were going to cut it off. He wasn't talking about something he could do without. Paul is talking about very basics of life here. I mean, think about it. In one of his epistles, he writes and says, Please send this guy to me. And when he comes, send his books and, or bring my books and, my winter cloak. Paul's sitting in a very primitive prison. And it's getting cold. He had a legitimate need. You could argue that there was a legitimate health concern there. This wasn't just some trivial little need. But Paul says, regardless of my need, I've never found myself in want. I've never found myself stressing and worrying about what I had and what I didn't have. And see, if we understand that, we begin to understand the true sense of this word contentment. This word content is an interesting word. And it's a word that when we think about it, sounds very anti-Christian in a way. It goes against everything that it seems like we've been preaching and Paul's been talking about. Because this word content means to be self-contained. Someone who was content in the true sense of the word was someone who didn't need anything from anyone. Someone who had everything that they needed, they were so resourced and so well outfitted that regardless of what happened, they didn't need anything from anyone. 
It was a word that was used sometimes for cities who were under siege, who had done a good job of preparing beforehand. And when the enemy camps out around the city, cutting off all of their supply lines, the city was content because they had enough food and they had enough water and they had enough wood for their fires and they had enough whatever they would need to outlast the siege. And Paul is saying, even though I found myself being in true need, I've never found myself being without everything that I needed. It doesn't even sound like it begins to make sense. How could he be in need and not in want? How could he be in need and not be concerned about the things that he didn't have? How could he say that he was self-contained and had everything he needed when he obviously needed things? Well, Paul goes on. says he found the secret In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says the secret is I found the true source. I found the true source. You see, a city that was fortified, that was built around a spring, if someone laid siege to the city... They would never be in need of water, right? There would always be plenty there because they had built their city around the source. Paul says the secret of contentment is this. Realizing that within myself, I am never self-sufficient. I am never self-contained. I am always in need. But you remember that keep... You remember that secure place that we could go with our concerns and our worries and place them there and know that He is our keep? Paul says, I haven't just found the eternal source. I've placed myself in the eternal source. That's the secret to contentment. That's the secret to contentment. I may have need, but I know I am right there with the one who can supply my every need. In his perfect plan and in his perfect time. Therefore, I'm never concerned about my need. I'm never in want. Because I am always just one step away from God providing it exactly when I truly need it. He says there's peace. There's peace in that. There's joy in knowing that I'm never in want. Because I have a personal relationship. I have placed myself within the one. And he has placed himself in me. Who can provide for my every need. But remember. Paul says when we. Pray right, we think right, and we live right. That the peace of God will guard our heart and minds, and the God of peace will abide with us. We can't do any of that outside of Christ. Because He is the way that we pray. He is the truth that we let our mind dwell on. And He is the life that we practice and let live through us. And when he becomes our all in all, when he becomes our focus, when we keep our eye on him, when we pursue him and only him, when we forget about the things that try to steal our joy and rob us of our focus, then we know true peace that pervades every aspect of our life. And with that, the joy that comes in not having to worry about our relationship within the body, not having to worry about our relationship with the people outside. Because we've got a personal peace with a personal Savior who's providing for all of our need and keeping us in His peace. So let me ask you this morning, where's your mind? We've asked this question each week. If you remember, Paul said the secret to joy is having reckoned within ourselves who we are, where we stand with Christ, and what our lives are to be about. 
And when we think right, we pray right, and we live right, then things will be all right. And right where they're supposed to be, and right when they're supposed to be. But where's your mind? Where's your mind? Is it distracted? Is it worried? Is it fretting over this and fretting over that? Is it running here and there trying to make sure all the plates are still spinning and the fires are out? Or is it on the one thing that we've been put here for? Pursuing Him and seeing Him glorified in our lives. What kind of peace are you really experiencing in your life? If we're not really at peace, if there's that turmoil, if there's that just conflict within our soul, what's out of place? Where are we not praying right? What are we keeping to ourselves and not taking to Him? What are we not trusting Him to deal with? Are we thinking right? Are we praying to Him and saying, God, I'm giving you these things and leaving them here in the keep? But in reality, we get up and and we start pursuing it ourselves and thinking about ourselves and letting it consume us. Are we living right? Are we living right? You know, the Bible tells us that our sin separates between us and our God. It, It interrupts fellowship. If you've never had your sin taken care of, it keeps you out of relationship with God. You can't know this peace and this joy. But if you have and when we harbor these little sins in our lives and, and we don't give up those things to Him, it, it interrupts that fellowship. It interrupts that peace. We're not comfortable in that relationship with Him. What's not setting right today? What do you need to take care of? Maybe you're here today and you, you've never known that peace. You've never known that peace because you've never had that relationship You've never come to Christ. He is not a personal Savior. You don't have peace with God. But today, you need to come and you need to accept the forgiveness that He's made available. And you need to give Him your life. You need to be crucified with Him and let Him live through you to pursue that thing that you were ultimately created for. That thing where you're going to find the abundant life and find true joy and true peace. And today you need to come because you need that peace. You need that joy. You need something different because the life that you have right now is not what he intended you to have. And it's not the life that he intended you to suffer through and live. You've been led astray by the joy thief. He's gotten your mind off on things. Today you need to come. And you need to meet the one who can give you the life and live through you the life that you were intended to have. We're going to dismiss in prayer. And if you need to come and talk, if you need to come and do business with God, if you need to deal with something that's a little bit off in your life today, whether it's the way you're praying, the way you're thinking, or the way you're living, you come and do that. Don't leave out of here today troubled. Don't leave out of here today without a relationship with Him. God, we do thank you for this time to get into your word. We thank you for an opportunity just to hear you speak into our lives and maybe put your finger on some things that you're asking us to change, you're asking us to correct, you're asking us to take out a step of faith in. And God, we pray that we'll be obedient to that. God, it doesn't matter what time lunch is, it doesn't matter what somebody's going to think if we come forward, it doesn't matter what's going on and where we've got to be. God, the most important thing we can do today is agree with you and do some business with you to go out of here being the people you called us to be because a world out there needs to see it. A world out there needs to see that gentle spirit within us that's secure and unwavering no matter what it encounters because it knows that you are the one who is our keep. So God, help us be honest with you today. Help us be responsive. God, challenge us as we go out into the world. Give us encouragement where we need it. Give us that swift kick in the pants when we need it. And God, help us be the people you called us to be. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed. As I walk this great unknown Questions come and questions go Was there purpose for the pain? 
Sometimes my faith feels thin, like the night will never end. Will you catch every tear, or will you just leave me here? I have this all in the depth of my So 